0: to continue our series this week um, on the goodness of God. This is week three and you know I never thought I would say this but this is a real controversial subject. Um, If you talk to Christians a lot of believers live in this world where they just believe that kind of it's almost like God's behind the scenes manipulating circumstances and allowing bad things to happen to people, to test them, and, and, and all this. And it's all under this umbrella of sovereignty. Well, you know, God's sovereign. His ways are not our ways. Is that true? Yes, God is sovereign. Are his ways not our ways? Yes. But you got you to keep going because right after it says that in the Bible, it says, but he reveals all of his ways by his spirit. In other words, he wants you to know his will in every way. And there's some things about God, and as we get into this, you gotta realize God is always good. Everything he does is good. It's not possible for anything, for him to do anything not good because he's he's good, he's not evil. As you grow in the Lord, you will learn how to discern good from evil. We live in a world, especially, it's growing that calls good evil and that calls evil good. The Bible talks about as you grow in the Lord, you have your, ex, your senses exercised. As you're a doer of the word, you have your senses exercised to discern good from evil. Because many times the enemy will come into your life and it will look really good, but it's still not God. And you don't want to buy counterfeit stuff. Because all roads with the enemy lead in death. He can't produce anything good because he's not good, right? Remember we used the example, you, could not go to, you couldn't go to Walmart, or, or I think I said last week, you couldn't go to Home Depot and go buy a two-carat, very high-quality diamond, right? If you walked in there, to, just go to Home Depot today and ask the worker, hey, can you show me the diamond section? I want to. I want to buy a nice, high-end, two-carat diamond for my wife. They'd look at you and go, "Well, it's not possible to ever take a diamond out of Home Depot that you purchased there. Why? Because they don't. They don't have it. It's not possible for God to ever do anything evil because He's not. He has no evil. Okay. Everything He's made is good. Do you know when He finished creation? The Bible says in Genesis, we looked at this, he looked at everything that he had made and he said, behold, it is very good, very good. It was after the fall of man that all this stuff happened, right? So let's keep going with this. So in Psalm 119, verse 68, at the beginning of this verse, it says, it says about God, you are good. And you do good. Thou art good and doeth good. So not only is God good, not only does he do good, and then then at the end of it it says, teach me your statutes. In Psalm 31, in verse 19, it says, Oh, how great is thy goodness. His goodness is great, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. It, and it keeps going, but this is what I want you to see in this verse. How great is your goodness that you have laid up? Do you realize you have goodness laid up for you? The goodness of God is laid up for you. That fear him. What that, Does that mean that's afraid of him? No, 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 no. That word fear means to reverence, to honor, and to respect above everything else in your life. He's laid up his goodness. So then in Psalm 107 in verses 8 and verse 9. Let's turn there and really set our eyes on this scripture. It says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Why? For his goodness. Now, this Hebrew word goodness literally is a noun. Okay? A Hebrew noun. And it means kindness, kindness, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his kindness. This word means faithfulness. So when we talk about the goodness of God, we're talking about his kindness, his faithfulness. Here's another one, his mercy. Here's another one, his love. That's how come the Bible says the Lord is good. God is love. It's a noun, it's who he is. He doesn't have goodness, he is goodness. And it also means loving kindness. And it says, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. God is good and God does good. Why are we teaching this? Because man, I'm telling you, He is worthy for you to commit every arena of your life to him. And he will turn every arena of your life that you turn over to him. He will turn it into his goodness. Everything. Your health, your mental health, your emotional health, your relationships. He'll restore things. He'll bring back stuff the enemy stole from you right? He'll bless your children. He'll bless the work of your hands. He'll lead you and guide you into life. You are to live in the goodness of God, right? And it says here in verse 9, for, so now it's talking about who God is, for he satisfies the longing soul. So many Christians are so frustrated in their soulish realm. So many Christians have bought the lie and they are stuck because they've had some bad stuff happen to them. They are stuck believing that I've got all these problems and they don't have one. It's all in their mind. Did it really happen? Yes. But has God made all things new for you as a believer? Yes. The Bible says he satisfies the longing soul and he fills... The hungry soul. So here's a key. Talk to a lot of people. Christians. And, and it's almost like the Bible is a peripheral. Well, you know, I I, yeah, I read the Bible a little bit. I mean, I know ministers that live in that world. Well, what do you mean you read the Bible a little bit? Then don't step in your pulpit. Don't, don't, don't. Don't do that. Yeah, but I really love ministry. There is no ministry. There's nothing happening if you're not overflowing. Right? Is that hard? Yeah. That's hard, but it's truth. Right? God wants, he's, I'm telling you, his word is life. And it will change every area of your life. And to follow him, you'll have to give up some things. You'll have to give up feeling sorry for yourself. Right? Right? You have to give up wine, right? What do I mean? You can't have a wine. You can't have wine in your mouth and be in faith. What do I mean by that? Oh, I'm just so, my life sucks. My life is horrible. I can't do this. Wine. Get the wine out of your voice. Get the word in your voice, right? Because Jesus' work is complete, and as we go through this, when you realize, man, I could, I could literally be like a little child, right? I mean, Devin, Catherine, your little girl, would stand up here, right, and just go, just fall. And if you didn't catch her, she would just face plant. But if you could do this a hundred times, and she would just not even think about it. She'd even turn her back and just fall backwards, because she trusts you. That's what God wants each one of us to be like with him. He will never allow you to fall. Right? This is what this is our God. It says for he satisfies the longing soul. So see, this is a soul that is longing. He he fills the hungry soul, longing and hungering soul with goodness. This is a Hebrew adjective. It's a different Hebrew word, but it's from the root, but it's an adjective that means well-pleasing, morally correct, and fruitful. See, an adjective, what does an adjective do? It describes a noun, right? So you could have, there's a beach, but then you can go and go, yeah, but... There, there's also a, a gorgeous beach, an adjective describing the beach. Everything about God is good. Everything about his goodness, it helps us. So in verse 8, if you want to just look at, at, don't. we're not going to do it today for time's sake, but in Psalm 136, Psalm 136, literally 26 times it talks about this word, Uh, The noun, faithful, merciful, kindness, all this, that we mentioned here in verse 8. In in Psalm 136, it mentions that word 26 times, and it defines it as mercy. For the Lord is good, because his mercy endures forever. You know, there's there's a thing in the Bible. No matter what you do, no matter how a person messes up, from Genesis to Maps... No matter how, if they cry, even if they've just been evil and done really bad. I think of Ahab, right? Uh, Ahab in the Old Testament, this guy was an evil dude. And God came to him and said, You know, you did this, dogs are gonna eat you. You know, you're gonna die a horrible death, in other words. He cried out for mercy and he got it. Even him. Here's the principle. If you ever cry out for mercy, if you ever if you ever need mercy, you always get it. That's just the way God is, isn't that good news? I love this. But in Psalm one thirty six, it's defined as mercy, and it proclaims that God's love and that God's kindness is eternal. He it never changes. So now the psalmist in Psalm twenty seven thirteen. He said this, and this is a key. He said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In the land of the living, he's saying, I would have fainted had I not believed to see the goodness of God in my life while I'm on the earth. Interesting. Interesting. You're gonna to have to use your faith to see His goodness. If you want His goodness manifesting in your life, you're gonna to have to use faith. Does that make sense? Goodness, fruitfulness, kindness, mercy, all the blessings. Healing is called a mercy, right? You're gonna to have to, it takes faith to receive that in your life. And that's what this, this uh, psalm is saying. We must believe the love of God. And we must believe the goodness of God towards us personally. This is the foundation of your life as a Christian. Why does a Christian not spend time with the Lord? Why do they not read their Bible? Why do they not, why do they not share their faith? Why do they have so many issues in their flesh? Why do they not honor God in different areas? Is it because they're a bad believer? No, there's not one of those. No. The reason why is they're feeding on the wrong thing. That's it. But if you want to change, all you got to do is start changing on what you're thinking, what you're feeding on. You got to believe God individually. You got to believe Him that He loves you and that His goodness is in your life right so i want to spend some time talking about that today turn to first john chapter 4 i just you know i just want to just saturate you with the word of god i pray because when you talk about the love of god there's such an anointing on it if there's one thing you're going to know when you leave here is that god loves you and you're going to it's going to it's going to expand because you can trust him for everything don't care, it doesn't matter if you can't see a way out. He'll make a way if there's not a way out, right? 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says, and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. Now, you could translate that to us, you could translate it in us. In the Greek, it works both ways. Notice, John is saying We have known the love of God that he has to us and in us, and we also have believed it. Notice you can't know something, right, unless you believe it. So so God's going to work overtime to bring revelation knowledge to you. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God. And this word dwelleth, it literally means to settle down and remain in a place, right? And it means to continue in it. I'm going to settle down and I'm going to remain in an environment of revelation knowledge of that God loves me. That's that's where I live. Romans chapter 8 says this, the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus. This is the law of love. What flows out of that law? Faith. And it enables you to lay hold of all the blessings of God. We live in this environment. You must know that you know that you know. It's not based on your behavior. It's based on Jesus' behavior. God loves you. His love for you, will ne- it never wanes right? Even if you're out, if you're out putting yourself in a position where he can't really get much over to you because you're out doing your own thing, you know, he doesn't like sin because of what it does in your life. He can't get anything over to you. Do you realize he might not be pleased, but it's because he can't bless you. He can't, he can't get anything over to you that he's already provided, but he still loves you the same. And I'm telling you, he'll keep prompting you to turn and, and just come back and do it his way. Open the door so he can work, right? It says here, for he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Isn't that amazing? The God who is love, he settles down and he remains and abides and continues in me. Isn't that cool? He never, The Bible says it this way, he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Verse 17, herein, herein, herein what? Herein the fact that I'm dwelling in love and God is dwelling in me, right? In this place, in the place of verse 16, herein is our love made perfect. This Greek word perfect means brought to completion, finished, fulfilled, and accomplished It literally means it gives you a picture of it reaches its uh, ultimate goal. How do you reach that? How do you walk in this? You have to realize, you have to, number one, know and believe the love that God has to you and in you. And you need to settle down and remain in love, right? Which means you're settling down and remaining in God And that God is settling down and remaining in you. Herein is our love brought to completion that we may have boldness. Now, this word boldness is interesting. This word boldness literally means freedom of speaking. Why do Christians not speak the word? Because they don't know God loves them. They need to have a revelation. When you have a revelation that, listen, that the God who is love has settled down and remained in you, that it's not based on you, and that there's nothing you could ever do to make that love wane, you will, have, you will be free to speak. And remember, to take advantage of your covenant, you have to speak. That we may have boldness, confidence in speaking, freedom in speaking, in the day of judgment. Well, what day is that? Is that when we stand before the Lord? No, no, no. Nope, that's not talking about that day. Let me prophesy. Today is January 14th. So your day of judgment is today. Right? When you wake up tomorrow, your day of judgment will be the 15th. Right? What does that word judgment mean? It literally means the day of of crisis. The day when crisis has come in your life. The day of a separating. See, what Satan is trying to do to you today is he's going to try to separate you from a revelation knowledge that God loves you and has settled down and remained in you. Why does he do that? He wants to separate you from that so that he could create a crisis in your life. And then he can, this other part of this word means, so that he could accuse you. Guess what happens when Satan accuses you? You accuse yourself. Right up until you you really don't feel good about that, so then you have to find somebody else to accuse to try to make yourself feel better, but you don't really feel better, right? Husbands and wives, you, you start to think that you're more spiritual than your other spouse, and what you don't realize is the fact that you're thinking that proves that you are a baby Christian. Because a mature Christian would never think that thought. Or, I'm sorry, they might think the thought, but they would take it captive. Right? So, so that we would have boldness, a freedom, and a confidence in speaking in the day where Satan's throwing thoughts to try to separate you from, from your faith, from seeing that God loves you. He's trying to get your eyes off of Jesus who is the word, and get your eyes on natural things. Why? So that he could create a crisis in your life for the purpose of accusing you. Bad things start happening in your life, and he'll twist it. Well, if you were better, well, if you were this, well, if you were that, and and pretty soon you'll start accusing yourself. Right? It all gets back to we gotta know that God loves us. And, and look at this. It says, Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is. How is Jesus right now? Is he on the earth? Well, he's on the earth by his spirit in the body of Christ. But where is he? He's seated at the right hand of God. He is seated at the right hand of God. As he is, so are you in this world. This is why Satan wants to separate you from this revelation knowledge of he loves you. Because you can't see his goodness in that position. And what, you, what he never wants you to realize, he doesn't want you to know who you are. Because guess what? As he is seated in heaven, guess where you are positionally? The Bible says you're seated in heavenly places in Christ which means that uh, while you are on the earth, walking on the earth, I walk on this earth in the authority that I have where I'm seated. Satan doesn't want you to know that because poverty and lack can't live in your life when you know your authority, right? Sickness and disease can't allow stay in in your body. Emotional problems, depression, anxiety, fear, torment, panic attacks, all this stuff, mental illness, can't live in this environment when you know who you are, right? Because as he is, so are we in this world. And now he's going to explain this. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. Wow. There's no fear in love. But perfect love, perfect love, this means love that has been fulfilled, that has reached its ultimate goal. The love of God does not develop. You just learn how to yield to it. So when you learn how to yield to the love of God, now it could fulfill. This is what this is talking about. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. How do you get fear out of your life? you got to know God loves you. It all gets back to that. He that fears is not made perfect in love. You can't be in fear. And this is why the Bible says, listen, I, God says, I have not given you the spirit of fear. That's an external thing coming against you, right? And then it finishes in verse 19. It says, we love him the only reason why you could love God is because he first loved you. So you've got to get this right. Why do I love God? Because I realize that he first loved me. Talk to people, talk to Christians that are not walking in freedom in their life. They don't have that revelation. And what happens when you don't have that revelation is it's all about you my problem, my this, my that, and all of society. Watch football today, right? You'll have all these commercials about my arthritis, my diabetes, my eczema, my this, my that. Does, does that make sense? Because it's all, it's just programmed. But guess what? It's not yours. No, no, Jesus took it, right? We love him because he first loved us. So this is, is how you can begin to see God's goodness. It didn't originate with you loving him. It originated with him loving you. While we were enemies, God loved us. Let's look at Romans chapter five. Let's keep going with this. You know, it's so funny because when you preach this, it's like words just don't do it. This is so important in your life. It is so very important in your life. It says here in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Let's put that up there. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Look at this. But God commendeth his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's all over the Bible. God came looking for us. The whole Bible is a story about God pursuing man. You need to know as a child of God, listen, my ability to love God, is, it's never going to grow beyond my revelation that he loved me first. This just makes you want to run for him. Look at John chapter 15 in verse 16. John 15, 16. I love this. Jesus is talking and he said this, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, right? Did you notice when Jesus picked his disciples, they didn't run up to him, Peter, James, and John didn't run up to him and said, hey, rabbi, can I follow you? Nope. Jesus had to say first, you follow me. And then they had to make a decision, Right? Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and I have ordained you, look at this, that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Man, I'll tell you, this is what makes me run after him because I realized you know, I've got this little piece of paper that says, Rhema ordained me. But that's not, that's just a natural piece of paper. That, so I could legally marry and bury people. So what? But who really ordained me? Right? I, I'm ordained by God. He chose me. I think that's amazing. Do you know I would not have chosen me? based on my behavior and everything else, I would have not chose me. But you know, God chose you. Do you know how many people that have ever lived that God chose? The Bible tells you, all of them. Do you know God, every human being that's ever lived, God chose them, and he wanted them to say yes so that because he, he had a plan for their life. Jesus literally died for the sins of the whole world. Study that out. That's amazing because 2000 years ago, see human history, humanity, Adam and Eve is about 6000 years ago. Jesus lived 2000 years ago. So those people that lived for 4000 years whether they died, whether they lived for God that, that whole thing gets, all I know is God's good. Yeah. And, and the righteous dead went to a place called paradise and they had an opportunity to receive him. The unrighteous dead were in hell, right? But we know this from, from one of the parables that, that Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man knew he was supposed to be there, right? So, so this whole thing was legal. But, but think about the rich man who's in hell that we have a picture of, we learn a lot about eternity in that little story. Do you know Jesus died for all his sins, even though he had already died? Isn't that, God is so good, because see, God, he doesn't change. He's no respecter of person, so what he's done for one, he has to do for all, right? But he says this, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you, and I've ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain That whatsoever you will ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So now I want to go to Romans chapter 8. And I want to go and just spend a little time in Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 29. And I want to show you the inner workings of what we've been talking about. We're talking about the goodness of God. God is always good. I want you to see what God has done to be in man's life. He's always pursuing. This whole picture that the world has of God is wrong. Right? Jesus is not a way. He is the way. And people will stand up and go, well, I'm not going to, uh, no, I just don't believe that. Well, you could not believe that all you want. But he's the creator. And it's set up this way. Guess, you know how many atheists are in hell? There's not one. The minute a massive atheist on this earth dies, they're no longer an atheist. They know that Jesus is Lord. They know that he died for their sins and that they chose not to receive that. There's, you know, like I, I had one atheist uh, in Fairfield talking to me. I've had many of them, but one of them, you know, would, would come talking to me. And I, and, I, and I told the guy, he was a professor at a university there. I said, you know, you guys are a dying breed. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, Every time an atheist dies, they're no longer an atheist. They know. Because Jesus isn't a way. He's the way. Right? right? To wonderful, like if you've ever talked to uh, people into Hinduism or a Hindu priest, generally they're just the nicest people in the world. And they just are like, you know, there's many ways to God. And you know, you could go to hell like that. But man, I'll tell you, when you minister to somebody who's into Hinduism and they see it, that God loves them, man, they're just so amazed because it's like, you're right, there is one way. Jesus is the door, right? So let's look at this, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. You guys doing okay? I'm loving this. I love talking about the love of God. It says, for whom he did foreknow. This word foreknow means to know beforehand. Who did he know beforehand? Every human being that's ever been created. There's plenty of scriptures on that. He also did predestinate. This word predestinate means to predetermine or to preplan something. So everyone that God knew before they were born He pre-planned something for them. So you could say it this way, every human being that's ever been born into humanity, God had pre-planned a plan for them. Okay? What is the plan? For them to be conformed, fashioned like unto, is what this word means, to the image of his son. So God's plan for every person that ever lived, is that they would be fashioned into the image of Jesus. All right? Why? That he, talking about Jesus, might be the firstborn of many brethren. Verse 30, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, so who he preplanned something for, them he also called. This word called means to bid or to entreat somebody to come, to invite them to come. Everybody that he pre-planned something for, he invited them to come to him. Okay? It means, this is what this means, that every person, every person, it means that at some point in their life, they entered into conviction that could possibly that brought them to salvation. They entered into a conviction where they knew they needed God. They were they see the word convict, it sounds kind of negative, but it's it literally means to convince. So everyone that God pre-planned had a plan for, he invited them, which literally brought them to the place of salvation. Right? See, but a person could enter into the conviction they could be invited, they could know they need God, but they could choose not to. Right? Right? Katie, Brandon, you guys are getting married. Everyone, right? Isn't that cool? That's so cool. So everyone, they pre-planned, they invited everybody they and everybody they had a plan that they wanted them at their wedding. They invited, but not everybody will come because maybe people have other things they got to do or or whatever, but they still invited them. That's exactly what this is talking about, okay? And whom he called or whom whom he invited, he also justified, right? So in other words, he had a plan for everybody, And he invited everybody to come to him. And all of those that came to him, he justified them. This word justified, he rendered them innocent. He declared them righteous. These are people that are now born again. This is you and I, right? I love that. It means that those that were called, that were invited, accepted and God rendered them innocent and God made them righteous. Jesus was made to bear their sin so that they could be made the very righteousness of God in Christ. Right? And to whom he justified how many are born again today. So, so if you're born again, okay, do we need to do an altar call? Because a lot of people are not... I, I mean, you should be like, yeah! Yeah, I'm, yeah, that's me, right? Well, I think we're looking at a lot of people, but whoever... That he justified, look at what, what does he want to do in your life? Them he also glorified, glorified. This word means to be rendered glorious, to be magnified, to be honored. Are you kidding me? What did we have to do to get that one? Nothing. Nothing. Just simply believe. Now, what did Jesus have to do for us to be honored? He had to die for us, because somebody had to die, right? So let's keep going with this. God has honored us, and he has rendered us glorious. This is why we use the term from glory to glory. As we walk in his word and are led by his spirit, it will do nothing, but you'll go from glory to glory on the earth, and all throughout eternity. So we see through this scripture that God planned for, God desires, and he accomplished salvation for every man. Why? Why? Because he is only good. He is always good salvation and remember we we have this term we think good is one level and then there's great no the best is good with God so see God it's his purpose it's his design it's his desire he's provided salvation for everybody but now it's the individual's decision whether to accept or reject that and God will not violate a person's will he will love them. He will, he will try to woo them their whole life in every situation, right? Sharina, I think of you. You never grew up in church. You never read the Bible. But then all of a sudden at a point in your life, you had this thought, I need God. Where did that come from? Because God preplanned, before you ever hit the earth, before you were ever born, God preplanned something for you. And he invited you that thought was him that conviction and I remember the day you came right man it was like the Spirit of God was all over and then all of a sudden boom she gets saved right you said yes yeah no turning back then here comes Mike right I mean and here comes all of us it's the same way we're all born again because of his goodness so now let's keep going He lays out this incredible thing that God did for everyone. And then he says in verse 37 or verse 31 What shall we say to these things? What shall we say to the fact that God literally pre planned? And then invited us. And then when we said yes, made us righteous. And then now, as we walk with him, he will just honor us and magnify us and glorify us in this earth. What shall we say to all these things? And then it says if. But it doesn't say if in the literal Greek. That word is very clear. It should be translated since. It's not if God is for you, it's since God is for you. God is for you today. Oh, he might not be for the way you're thinking, the way you're speaking right now, even what you're doing right now, but he's for you and he has a plan for your life. And man, if you will just give, get over yourself like I had to get over myself and embrace his plan and start to go to this word and say, if this says it, I'll do it. I don't care. There's no other option for me because I know he's so good. What shall we say to these things? Let me keep going. Since God before us, who can be against us? The answer to that is no one or nothing can be against you. Right? Wow. What shall we say to these things? Things. Let's let's break this down a little bit. See, what shall we say to these things based on what God said? Based on what God did for us, he literally, he he called us, he he pre-planned something, he called us, he invited us, we said yes, he made us righteous, and now we go from glory to glory. This is what God's doing. So now what do we say to these things? Let me get this right. What do we say to these things? What things? Here's the thing, the temptation to sin. What shall we say to that? The trouble that comes because of the curse of the fall. What do we say when sickness tries to attack our body illegally? What do we say when poverty and lack tries to keep us down in life? What do we say to depression, anxiety? What do we say to fear? What do we say to all this stuff now that that it's trying to come against us? What do we say to trouble? What do we say to persecution? Right? What do we say when we get persecuted for our faith? You know what we say? Pfft, okay. If God be for us, who could be against us? Thing, you're nothing. Right? Right? Sickness, disease, you're nothing. I don't care what the diagnosis is. It doesn't matter. Stage four cancer, pancreatic cancer sounds pretty serious if you compare it to my ability, but it sounds like nothing when you compare it to what God has done in my life, right? Generations of poverty and lack with this deep mentality in my life of poverty and lack is nothing compared to what God has provided for me. And now I'll take his word and I'll go from glory to glory and hide and watch. Right? Wow. Things, circumstances that the enemy brings in our life. What shall we say? If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he he that spared not his own son but delivered us but delivered him up for us all. How shall look at this? He not with him also freely give us all things. Amen. Freely give us all things. God will give you things to deal with the things that the enemy's bringing in your life. See, this stuff about how do you put God heals some and not others into this scripture? You can't do it. Right? What do we say to these things? If God be for us, who could be against us? He gave His only Son for me. How much more will He freely give me everything He said He gave me? Everything. God freely gives you things to overcome the things that come into your life. You are a world overcomer because you are born of God. Look at a couple scriptures that he's given you. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says this, According as his divine power hath, past tense, given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us. Look at this. He called us to what? Glory and virtue. Wow. Ephesians 1.3. This is a good one for your notes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The literal rendering of this verse, if you take all these Greek words, it would read like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the spirit realm in Christ. Guess where natural blessings come from? The spirit realm. In other words, God has given you the root for all the fruit. Wow. So let's jump back to Romans chapter 8. This is so good, we got to keep going. Verse 33, Romans 8:33 Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? That word anything in the Greek means to accuse. Who is able to accuse God's elect? Right? It is God that justifies. How can somebody accuse you? God's justified you. That's a done deal. You've been made righteous. Colossians says that now you've been made worthy by Jesus and now you've been made holy, unaccusable, and unblameable in his sight. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now, that has that really messed up a lot of people because a lot of people, they intercede for Christians. And the prayer of intercession is a prayer. Edwin and Lisa, can I, can I use you guys for just a second? Intercession is a prayer you pray for unbelievers. So let's just, I'm going to say, Lisa, why don't you come on over here? So this is what intercession is. Let's say I'm God. The prayer of intercession, I will get people to pray, my 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 believers in the earth to pray to do this, to introduce. Yeah. Actually, actually, let's let's try this. I gotta try to pull them apart. So let let me let me do this right. So I'm not God, Edwin's God. Here we go. Woo. You married up, this is awesome, right? So, so God will have me pray a prayer as a believer, right? Okay, now I'm gotten it, getting it right. It's a work in progress here. I, I think of this stuff when I preach it. So, um, so I'm interceding, and what my intercession does is it connects Lisa to God. That's what it does. Thank you, guys. The prayer of supplication looks a lot like intercession. This is a prayer that you pray for believers. You could pray it for yourself. The prayer of supplication is a prayer. We have some of them uh, in Ephesians, Colossians, prayers that are even in the Bible that help a believer lay hold of the plan of God for their life, okay? So, And if you want more information on that, I taught a whole series on prayer that really went into that. But it says here, verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies Who is he that condemns? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who's even at the right hand of God, who, what, also makes intercession for us. So let's rightly divide this. Wait a minute. Pastor, you just said you don't intercede for a Christian. This scripture is not talking about the action of intercession. Jesus is not actively interceding for you and I. It is talking about the position of intercession. God, the mere fact that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the mere fact that his blood is speaking, it forever is saying, forever says, you are connected and one with God. It's the action, or I'm sorry, it's it's the position, not the action. The work is already done. Jesus is the proof of that work. Jesus is forever the proof that you and I are joined to God. Right now. It's finished. Isn't that good news? Let's look at verse 35. Who, notice it doesn't say what, it says who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation? This, this word tribulation means A crushing pressure from without. Have you ever encouraged tribulation? Right? Right? Satan works behind the scenes. Here's a horrible tribulation. He works behind the scenes creating thought processes in an individual so that they live in poverty and lack. And the pressure of that gets real great. If you've ever not had enough money to pay bills, right? And you deal with these wonderful credit counselors or collection guys who call you up and say, hey, you know what, you owe $5,000. If you'll give us $2,000 right now, we'll just call this done, which would be great, but if you can't make that $25 minimum payment, where are you going to get $2,000, right? If you've ever been in that situation, it, it's pressure. It says here, who's going to separate us from the love of God, in, in, uh, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? The answer to that is No. Are you in tribulation? Are are you in extreme pressure that's coming from without? You're still not separated from the love of God, right? Shall distress, this is talking about anguish, right? Discomfort from within. This is talking about mental stuff, depression, anxiety. If If you are fighting depression, does that mean that God doesn't love you? No, you're not separated from his love nothing no mental anxiety fear torment right all this stuff depression it can it can't separate you from the love of god that's in christ or persecution this when when you're this word means you're being pursued by your enemies does that separate you no what about famine famine won't separate you from his love nakedness peril or a sword none that which means war none of that will separate you from the love of god so guess what if there's a famine and you're not separated from the love of god guess who will provide for you in a famine guess who will clothe you guess who will keep you safe in a war situation right as it is written look at this as it is written now when you see that in the Bible, he's quoting Psalm forty-four, twenty-two. The psalmist in Psalm 44 was complaining about all the trouble that they were in. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And immediately a believer who doesn't know the word will go, well, see? But this is not talking about you now. you got to keep reading. This is talking about you and I before we ever said yes to God and got born again. We're not not able to be killed all the day long now. Okay? That's good news. But see, we we build a doctrine here in verse 36 without ever reading verse 37. Right? It says, as it is written, for thy sake we're killed all day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, nay... In the literal meaning, it would be no. It means, I mean, isn't that deep? That's Tony Finley deep. You're getting a Greek lesson today. It means no, no, I am not counted as a sheep for the slaughter. I'm not going to be killed all day long. God has not planned for us to be killed. This whole chapter in verse, chapter eight. Have you ever heard me teach on it? It's the victory chapter. Right. God's saying, no, 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 no. I have only plans for you to be victorious. Nakedness, famine, I've got prosperity. Sickness and disease, war. I mean, I'm ta- talk, about, talk to combat veterans. If you, have, if you have family members that are deployed, man, get them, teach them that they are protected. God will supernaturally protect them. Nay, in all these things, in what things the list from verse 35. We are more than conquerors through him, why that loved us. Why do we why do we walk in victory because he loves us? We're more than conquerors. I love the Greek because this word conquerors means I'm super victorious. Not just victorious, I'm super victorious. If you were a Marvel hero, your name would be super victorious. What does that mean? doesn't matter what it is. Right? It just just doesn't matter. Well, there's always this big and bad evil. It doesn't matter. There is no big and bad with us. To be honest with you, us in Christ, we're the big and bad because we're in the ultimate big and good. Right? verse 38 for i now look at this how do i walk in victory how do i overcome all these things all these things for i am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth right? Nor any other creature, in the Greek it would read like this, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where are you at? You're in Christ. Nothing can separate you from his love. Why are we teaching on this? Because you can't see his goodness until you see how much he loves you. He's always good. You can step out of that boat. You can let go of all the junk that's happened in your life. You can walk in your freedom because he loves you so much. Wow. So with time remaining, let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. I want to... i want I want you to see another prayer of supplication, talking about the love of God, another attribute of this. We're kind of coming down here. Hang with me just a few more minutes. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, for this cause, I bow my knee unto the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 I'm just going to read this. I can't teach on it. We'll go too long. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he... Now, you got to understand, verses 14 through verse 19 is one sentence. It's a run on Paul was the master, or I should say the Holy Spirit, he's a master at run-on sentences. Right? Here it is, verse 16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. This prayer of supplication is like a sermon on how to walk in the fullness of God. The first thing that he mentions here is the Lord strengthening us through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, many, many believers are falling short because they're spending all their energy trying to live for God. Instead, of walking in victory and just letting God live through you. where you've heard me say that before, right? This is so important. The key to victory as a believer is learning how to completely depend upon the Holy Spirit for strength. Completely depend on him, not myself. All power for the believer originates in the person of the Holy Spirit. What's gonna make you be strong, as you as you withstand pain in your body sickness and disease until it leaves the holy spirit will strengthen you verse 16 that you would, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith now look at this and that you being rooted and grounded in love. God wants the roots of your life to go deep. He wants you rooted and grounded in the fact that God loves you, right? Paul is speaking of an intimate understanding an experiential knowledge of the depths of God's love. Wow. Just as a tree's roots provide stability and nourishment for that tree... So also our revelation of God's love is the foundation upon which we receive everything from Him. Verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being deeply, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend. This this word comprehend means to lay hold and make your own. He said all this so that you can lay hold of something and make it your own, that you may comprehend with all the saints. In other words, you comprehend and lay hold of what he's talking about here as you walk in love for your brothers and sisters. So that's why in every situation, you never let unforgiveness live in your life because this is vital to your existence as a believer, that you comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Why is it using these words? Because God's love is not one-dimensional. It is multi-dimensional. And if you want to know more about multi-dimensional stuff, probably Pastor Edwin might be the guy that you talk to. Because you probably understand a lot about multidimensional stuff. And he's over here going, well, I understand enough to know that there's a lot more that I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> he'd be way beyond me, right? So here, multi-dimensional. think about that. God's love is not one-dimensional. It's not just, you love him, you better do the right thing. No, 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 it's multidimensional. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It's beyond knowledge. Why? That you might be filled. Think about this. With all the fullness of God. What? You mean to tell me that my born-again spirit has the capacity to be filled with all the fullness of God? I didn't say that. He did. Right? The end result of having knowledge and understanding of God's incredible love for you is that you'll be filled with the fullness of God. Do you understand why Satan works overtime to, to, to get you to see what your physical looks like, your behaviors, everything in the natural, what you drive, how you dress, all, every mistake you've ever made, it's all designed to get you to believe, you know, God just is not going to love you. Wow. Look at verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or even think according to the power that works in us. What's the power? Revelation knowledge that God loves you. This verse right here is, is literally ties the use of God's ability or I'm sorry, let me say this right. It it ties, yeah, I could say it that way. It ties the use of God's ability to the power that's working in us. Power working in us means that power will be working out of us and through us. No power working in you because you don't have a revelation that God loves you. No power working out of you. See, I can teach the word of God but it will never produce very much unless it's saturated in the love of God. But it can't do that if I'm not walking in the love of God. I can't teach out of the love of God if I don't have a revelation of it. But if you'll notice, even if, if I ever say anything halfway that could be taken kind of hard, it's still very uplifting. Because the love of God can do nothing but lift you up. Wow. Wow. I'm going to close with this, Isaiah 41:10. I love this scripture. Isaiah 41:10 says this. It says, "Fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed. This means don't be bewildered, don't be confused. For I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Yea." I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness, God says. You could say it this way I will get you out of the mess you got yourself into. I will teach you how to profit and lead you in the way that you should go. I will lead you into laying hold of the blessing of the Lord, which will make you rich. I'll heal your body. So that as you get old on the earth, that people look at you and go, man, God wants to lift you up and show show you to the world so that they can see Jesus. That's what he wants to do. God loves you today. I hope this has helped you a little bit.